Welcome to Policy Pod, P-O-R-F podcast. The Ideas Factory is an exclusive series by ORF that delves into the big geopolitical events that affect India and the world. Hello and welcome to the Ideas Factory. I am Nakma. With me is Professor Harsh Pant. As we speak, a second attempt for civilian evacuation is on in Ukraine in the city of Mariupol. Earlier attempts of ceasefire uh, have uh, failed. That's what the Ukrainians claim, that the Russians are not really respecting the ceasefire and there have been ceasefire violations. Uh, you know, amidst those claims, Mariupol attempts a second round of civilian evacuation. During this time, President Zelensky has also spoken to the U.S. president and the Senate. And uh, President Putin has spoken to the Israeli prime minister. Now, Putin has met with Israeli prime minister and has also appealed that Israel can probably mediate to bring about peace in the region. Israel has good relations with both the countries, Ukraine and Russia. Putin is also threatening that if there is any involvement of NATO, like Ukraine has been appealing that there should be or NATO should declare a no-fly zone. But in case NATO does that, it will be a direct declaration of war. In fact, he's also saying that any further sanctions will also be tantamount to declaration of war by the Western powers. So this is the situation right now, uh, uh, you know, amidst the war that's going on between Ukraine and Russia. Uh, Harsh, the way things have unfolded, what do you make of this? The situation is tense. Ceasefire violations have happened. The humanitarian corridors that were constructed for people to leave, uh, apparently they've also not worked. Ukrainians have said that Russians have been bombing even the civilian areas. And as the civilians were trying to leave, situation is tense. NATO does not want, of course, to directly get involved in this. Uh, the situation continues to be very, very tense. And what do we make of this? Uh, what do you see in the coming days? Uh, Nava, some things are quite clear, I think. One is that uh, the war certainly has not gone the way Mr. Putin expected it to have gone. Uh, you know, he perhaps he wanted, uh, he should have wanted uh, uh, a swift uh, war, uh, a war that uh, in the initial few days uh, would have, would give him some success. Uh, and I and I don't think that that's the way it has panned out. I think uh, uh, there are some credible reports about uh, the, uh, the the logistical issues that uh, Russian army has been facing, and of course the pushback from the Ukrainians, the resistance from the Ukrainians have been quite quite strong. And I think it's evident now, even the towns that, for example, have been taken, like Kherson, uh, you know, and uh, where. People are out on the streets protesting against uh, Russians. So I think there is a sense that, uh, you know, that the, 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 the sort of victory, the sort of uh, uh, conflict that perhaps uh, was uh, aimed for uh, is now dragging on post its 10th uh, day now. So I think clearly there are there are signs of some desperation. Uh, there are the, the, the death and destruction that it has unleashed on Ukraine, of course, uh, is, is is quite significant, uh, and uh, and in, you know in, in the ruins of Ukraine today, uh, I think the world is struggling to look for a future for this country. So it's very unfortunate that way, uh, and of course, Mr. Putin is now uh, 
going all out in some ways, both in the statements, as you were mentioning, saying that, look, uh, economic sanctions will also be considered, are, are all, you know, if, if they are increased or if they are ratcheted up, then this is a tantamount to war. Uh, the nuclear issue has been part of this discourse uh, very strangely in some ways from the very beginning. Mr. Putin has been there at the very top of the escalation ladder. Uh, and, uh, and I think uh, this idea that so long as this was about diplomatic posturing uh, for uh, Russia, for Mr. Putin, about a renegotiated European security order, there was some support around the world. But if you look at, for example, the UN General Assembly resolution, it is, you know, it, it's not really operational in that sense. It's not really uh, legally binding. But it does tell you that the world uh, is uh, looking at this act of aggression uh, with a certain degree of consternation and is putting the blame largely on Mr. Putin, on Russia, uh, for being the aggressor. So I think uh, on multiple fronts, there are pressures, economic pressure on Russia. And that means that for Mr. Putin, the victory is uh, in some way very essential. That, you know, that, that loss of face uh, would be detrimental for him politically, domestically. And I think, therefore, uh, this idea that now he's going all out, now the usual uh, tactic of maneuver warfare, where you rally around all your forces around the city, bombard the city to capitulation. That's the kind of warfare that we are witnessing from the Russians. Uh, and, and I think that means that one by one, we will see greater destruction happening in, in Ukrainian cities. And eventually, uh, whatever the, uh, you know, whatever the ambitions initially Mr. Putin may have had, eventually it will be uh, a kind of an occupation with a pro-Russian government installed there that, that, that he would want. So I think we can look for a possibility of some kind of a government in ex exile for Ukraine. We can look for a possibility of, of uh, a continuing insurgency in Ukraine. So I think the future is very, very bleak, even if you're looking at this from a political settlement point of view, apart yes. from war fighting that's going on on the ground. Yes. Basically, a very uncertain future as of now for Ukraine, whatever the outcome, Ukraine will be disturbed right now. Look at what's happening to the cities. There are corpses all around. Uh, there are bombardments happening. People trying to leave. Apparently, train tracks have been blown up. So buses are the only way to get out of Ukraine. Well, all that is happening and, you know, all the international rallying or diplomatic efforts that have taken place till now have not yielded any result. It seems to have emboldened Putin further. Uh, so, so what do we make of, you know, these uh, these fresh talks uh, with the Israeli prime minister, Putin meeting the Israeli prime minister and uh, Mr. Zelensky speaking to the Americans? Well, it's, see, it's very unlikely that Israelis would be able to play the kind of role that Mr. Putin is expecting. I think what Mr. Putin wants to demonstrate is that he's still able to uh, talk to uh, the rest of the world. Uh, and there are leaders out there who are willing to engage with him on the subject and that he is also showing that he's interested in peace. Uh, but look, as, as you uh, as you pointed out at the very beginning, uh, the uh, the uh, humanitarian corridors that were supposed to be uh, you know, uh, uh, available for uh, for humanitarian operations, for evacuation procedures uh, that have also not really materialized. And I think the challenge there has been that for the Russian army at the moment, uh, they view continuing bombardment, continuing uh, their push towards urban centers as essential for the victory. Any stopping them, uh, any anything that that stops them from doing this, uh, they would consider as this, uh, you know, this, uh, as, as a ploy by the Ukrainians to remobilize and by the Western countries to give them more support in terms of equipment and armaments. So I think for them, uh, you know, any kind of cessation of violence 
uh, is uh, is something that they would be loath to uh, to uh, operationalize and it is exactly the kind of cessation you need for humanitarian purposes you need for any kind of diplomatic space because that's what ukraine has also been saying that look uh, we are talking but talking under the shadow of bombardment really uh, does not uh, mean that we are looking for a diplomatic solution it means that russia is looking for a uh, for a military solution primarily and the diplomatic uh, you know engagement is primarily a cover to support that that military uh, military adventure so i think uh, diplomatically i do not see any uh, you know I, i see very little possibility at the moment because mm-hmm. for mr putin some kind of military victory is essential and you know the the, the stakes that he has raised with bombarding the, the nuclear installations military installations urban installations it's all over the place you know it's it's not as if there is a calibrated strategy to Uh, to decimate uh, ukraine militarily which he which he started off with he said i want demilitarization and denazification of ukraine but demilitarization demilit- is not really happening we are now looking at urban centers being targeted we are now looking at civilian centers being targeted so i think the war has taken a dimension which you know all wars do that beyond the point you really can't control the momentum of this mach- military machine that you have unleashed and i think yes. that's what we are witnessing on the ground and diplomacy is mm-hmm. nowhere to be seen at the moment i mm-hmm. it's very it's very unlikely that uh, that there that in the short term at least there's going to be a diplomatic resolution to this problem there may not be any diplomatic resolution to the problem in the short term but diplomatic efforts are on but at the same time the kind of destruction that mr putin has unleashed on ukraine and areas around he also seems to be losing support harsh uh, in his own country there are uh, there are protests there are protests by russians who are living outside of russia does that mean anything to him i mean there are peace efforts there are protests we see pictures from trafalgar square we see pictures of russians holding placards and banners would also probably say in in goa in india so all over the world but does that matter at all of him losing a popularity or any kind of support within russia and how does this this event and this war unfolding really alter the balance of power in europe i think profoundly uh, you know two things have happened one <clears throat> i think mr putin was uh, you know his his two experiences with with mobilizing the military machine if you will have been very different if you recall uh, you know when his his claim to fame in russia came with the with his um, role in the in the uh, in, in in russian response against chechen rebels and he was the primary figure in russia who who uh, went on a very hard line initiative and and that made him a very very popular russian uh, politician and then of course you had the crimea uh, in 2014 where his popularity soared uh post 2014 uh, after the crimea annexation so uh, i mean i think clearly he was uh, you know th- there was a sense that uh, he he would have thought that this is uh, you know uh, another adventure down that lane and this would consolidate my role now i think he was not re- uh, uh, perhaps relying on europeans getting together so closely and perhaps so effectively because i think the kind of economic sanctions that have been unleashed to the point where today uh, in fact now we are hearing uh, even uh, visa and mastercard seizing operations in russia i think that means that western countries uh, america still has the financial wherewithal uh, to isolate a country like no other country can i mean if you if you're looking if you if you exist in this uh, globalized environment you still have the western world america in particular controlling uh, most of the levers and and the the way they have been unleashed uh, certainly i think russians who rely on 
global engagements who rely on global financial system, uh, Russian banks, Russian central bank that has been deprived of, uh, of uh, you know, uh, engaging in dollars. I think th those are all very, very serious issues for an economy that was already doddering. It was a, you know, it, it was not as if for the last two decades during Mr. Putin's tenure, uh, we have seen Russian economy diversifying or Russian economy getting consolidated. It's largely been a one-dimensional uh, economy relying on oil and gas. And now that these kinds of pressures are there on Russia, I think many Russians would be concerned about the future. And we know that uh, to a to the extent that information is coming out, that there has been a, a relative run on the run on the banks. Uh, we know that Russians are elsewhere worried about the repercussions for them, uh, both in terms of reputation, both in terms of economic engagement across the world. So I think there is going to be pressure on him, but it's mm -hmm. not entirely evident that that is enough to uh, to uh, put him on you know uh, on a trajectory where where he would give up his ambition of installing a pro-Russian regime or uh, this, this idea that he needs to save his face now. So what's the face-saving formula here? And yes. unless you give him that, nothing is going to happen. And I think very briefly, European position, I think, has been uh, much stronger. And I think what we are looking today is a Europe that is perhaps coming out of its stupor, both uh, recognizing that you cannot really go on uh, with America doing all the heavy lifting and Europeans really focusing only on economic heft. This is what I think the German response has been, the way the Germans have come out and said, look, now we are going to invest in the military, we are going to yes. engage, and we are going to cut our yeah. dependence on Russia, which is a very significant statement mm -hmm. uh, coming from Germany, which is actually at the heart of European geo strategy. So yeah. I think we are, we are looking for some very fundamental transformation in European security architecture going forward. Yes. Yeah. Important point you make there. Uh, also that uh, he has to be given a face saving formula. And what would that be? That's a big question. Another thing I would like you to comment upon very briefly is, uh, you know, China's role in this is global isolation. If uh, Russia is facing and there's so many sanctions that have been already placed in Russia. Uh, what, where does China come in? How does China come in here? I think China would be, I mean, it's, it's a very interesting role for China because clearly China has so far, uh, you know, said, uh, you know, they, they are, they, they don't want to destroy their relationship with Russia. But at the same time, I think you see certain strains in China about mm. uh, the, the discomfort with, with where the situation is going. Uh, and for a country that, uh, you know, that is looking at the global economy primarily as their pivot to great power status, uh, this can be very disconcerting because they would also observe very carefully uh, that, uh, you know, uh, Russia is not really that interconnected with the world, but Chinese are. Chinese economy is. So if you have this kind of a, uh, you know, impact on global economy that we are witnessing today, and also the fact that uh, today you can see uh, Americans and the Europeans coming together and isolating Russia the way they have done, I think uh, th there, there would also be concern in Beijing that perhaps... Uh, you know, if their foreign policy remains the same, then there are challenges going forward and that for all the talk of uh, American decline, Western decline, we still, they, the Western countries still have that ability uh, to push you to the wall if, 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 if push comes to shove. But I think where uh, perhaps China might want to come in and play some role, uh, and that would be interesting to see if they decide to do that, uh, because now, right now they are saying... Um, and that look, everyone has to be engaged with, and dip diplomacy should be given a chance. Uh, but eventually, if they, if if there is one country that can play, uh, you know, the kind of a role uh, that perhaps you were talking about Israel talking to Putin, I think it's China that can that can uh, come in and say if if they want to. 
uh, that look we are willing to talk to mr putin and 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 see what what can be done but i don't think they uh, you know because i i don't think they also have a formula that that we were mm-hmm. talking about you know yes. unless china comes up with a formula that also allows mr putin uh, to uh, to to say that i have achieved some victory uh, it would be very difficult to convince him as well so i think they don't want to disturb the balance they have created with the russians at the moment while at the same time increasingly worried that this uh, this if this if this continues the impact on global economy the impact mm-hmm. on them and of course the impact on larger geopolitical uh, structures that are being that that will that will come up after this uh, will will largely be negative for china yeah a lot of a, lo- a lot of impact is uh, just beginning to be evident even if it is talking about the shortfall of of wheat across the world uh, you know so how how countries around the world are getting affected but when you talk of china the big question is can china really play a role here will china play a role and what can be a face saving formula for putin but there's also an increasing feeling harsh um uh, coming out of ukraine that probably the west uh, mainly us has not lived up to its hopes uh, of what the ukrainians actually hoped for they've been supplying weapons they've been supplying arms and helping them uh, but of course us or the western powers do not want to get directly involved in this so in a way a feeling that uh, the west has failed ukraine after uh, encouraging him to or encouraging ukraine to take on uh, russia i think there would be there would be some uh, i think uh, you know uh, who would feel like that and there there would be concern uh, you know uh, around the world about the possibilities of uh, you know over this conveys but i think you know uh, uh, what where mr zelensky perhaps is going a bit overboard is that in a sense if he brings in uh, american forces uh, that he's talking of a no fly zone uh, uh, you know this this becomes a confrontation between two nuclear powers mm-hmm. and given mr putin's or who has already raised it to a level at the very beginning yeah. saying that it it can be a nuclear conflict i think uh, the, you know the western countries are making a sensible move by not Uh, escalating it to a point where nato forces and russian forces are directly in combat because then it would the, the escalation the kind of escalation that we would see uh, would be quite incomprehensible and and i think uh, it would be very difficult to manage Absolutely. so my own sense is that uh, you know from as far as the uh, america is concerned it's a sensible move uh but clearly i think uh, with with the kind of death and destruction that ukrainians are facing uh, they mm-hmm. would want um, some more concrete efforts on the part of america to to come yes. out of this. so and mm-hmm. that is not happening there is a, there is certainly a disappointment mm-hmm. but whether but whether uh, you know uh, you know i think what ukraine and others will have to realize that after even after this is settled uh, you know uh, it is going to be primarily a conversation between um Uh, america nato and russia unfortunately that's the nature of great power politics that smaller countries tend to be used as pawns smaller countries tend to become merely uh, you know agents uh, you know their agency gets curtailed uh, because you have great powers who are negotiating with each other after all uh, for mr putin also this was never about ukraine itself it was it has been about bigger things and he wanted direct conversation with mr biden uh, and perhaps that is uh, that is where this conflict is going where eventually major powers will have to sit down and work out a formula and when does that take, when does it happen and that in 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 the middle of the, uh, that till the time that actually happens we've seen great destruction in ukraine and like you said small countries become the pawn and they pay the price and that's what is happening right here a final question um, about india and india's role i mean there was a lot of hope that 
uh, Ukraine uh, had also looked up to India, hoping that India can play a more active role. But a lot of criticism on India um, actually not getting off the fence and taking a strong side. Uh, and um, a couple of our viewers have also asked questions about this. Harsh uh, Akshay Pandit asks, can India keep on walking a tight rope in geopolitics or it needs to take sides? Um, as it uh, as it aims or as it aspires to become a global power. Now uh, we've also seen that the Quad took place, a Quad meeting took place, and there is pressure on India from both sides that India should be uh, stating its position more clearly. What options and can India do that? I think uh, for India, it is certainly a tightrope walk. And uh, my own sense is that India wants to keep the focus strictly on the big strategic challenge it faces, and that is China. I think any any distraction from that uh, makes India more vulnerable. So my own sense is that India is unlikely to change that position because to manage China, India needs Russia, India needs the West. Uh, Russian defense supplies are important and we cannot afford to uh, marginalize Russia in our strategic calculus. And that's why India has been cagey about uh, publicly uh, talking about uh, Russia. But I think if you look at Indian statements over the last few weeks, they have gradually evolved. Uh, they are, we are now talking of uh, territorial integrity and sovereignty being the cardinal principles of international law. Very, very categorically, we, uh, India is expressing its disappointment uh, that diplomacy has not been given a chance and which is primarily directed at Mr. Putin and Russia. So I think there is a sense in which India's diplomatic language has changed. India's diplomatic discourse has changed. But of course, uh, you know, India will, I, I don't think will, uh, will come out and, and publicly condemn Russia. India will not, uh, because I think uh, you know there are two things. One, uh, of course, there is a there is a dependence on Russia. There is a relationship with Russia that India wants to preserve. India wants to preserve its channels of communication. Let's also not forget that as Indian students were being evacuated, uh, India had to reach out to Russia and and seek Russia's help. So I think there are a number of fronts here, but primarily this is about uh, I think uh, in, in some ways uh, for the Western countries and for the for, for, for critics of India to also understand that at the end of the day, any uh, any a crisis like this, uh, you know, enhances uh, the possibility that uh, that uh, you know China and uh, you know might might become more intransigence uh, because the focus gets shifts away from China. Uh, as an aside, uh, in 1962 Cuban Missile Crisis uh, during that time. It, it was during that time that China had, uh, you know, China decided to, uh, to, to launch the war against India, the 1962 war. So I think, uh, you know, and, and Cuban Missile Crisis was between US and Soviet Union. Uh, so in, in a sense, uh, you know, we really cannot afford to take our eyes off the ball, which is China. And in order to manage China, India needs both, uh, both uh, uh, you know, Russia and the West. And I think this was what uh, perhaps Mr. Modi would have conveyed to, to the Quad partners that this is India's uh, you know challenge and uh, and to to help India to manage this in uh, to to manage this uh, I think there has to be a certain degree of sensitivity in, in the West about India's security concerns after all how many countries are there that are standing up to China eyeball to eyeball not not very many so I think there is there is uh, you know th there is something uh, about India's position which which makes sense. Uh, and I don't think that is un that is going to change anytime soon. Uh, I think uh, you know black and white answers are often not available in in geopolitics, especially for India. Uh, but clearly pressures are rising, 
if the conflict escalates, if it continues to escalate, there will be pressure on both sides. Russia will present India's position as an endorsement, uh, which it is not. And um, uh, the Western countries would put pressure on India to ensure uh, that India is more vocal about, about Russia. Although, you know, I don't think that that's, that's, uh, that's happening. But clearly, there is greater discomfort with the Russian position rising. We see that both uh, in, in Indian public discourse as well as in an official discourse that, that what Russia has done is certainly not helped India. It has, it has curtailed India's options. It has put more pressure on India. And going forward, it can be damaging for India's economic and strategic prospects. Absolutely. The way things have unfolded, it has really uh, limited India's options and curtailed India's options. And India, like you said, cannot take its eyes off the ball, which is China. And as we are saying this, China has hiked up its defense budgets further. So that's, of course, uh, it continues to be a matter of concern for India. And unless Mr. Putin is given a, a formula uh, for, uh, you know, uh, for a face saver. Uh, the, the situation will continue to be tense here. Uh, so we are looking ahead at very uh, tense days for Ukraine, for its people. Evacuation efforts are on, uh, but there is a lo lot of destruction on the ground that we see as of now. Thank you so much, Harsh. Uh, at ORF, we will continue to track the developments in Ukraine and what is happening on the Ukraine-Russia front. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for tuning in to Policy Pod, the ORF podcast. Please subscribe to our channel for updates on upcoming episodes.